Welcome to the Go Reboot Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fee, and together we're embarking on a journey of impact, mission, and innovation to help you reclaim your power and shift from surviving to thriving. Hello, and welcome to the Go Reboot Your Life podcast. My name is Lisa Fee, and I'm your host. I love to bring people that inspire me to dream bigger and to live a life full with no regrets. And I can't think of anybody better to exemplify that than my friend, Holly Budge. Holly is an international speaker and adventurer, and she is Everest Summiter. So Holly is transforming lives by advocating the importance of a positive mindset, building mental toughness, setting ambitious goals, and achieving overall well-being. And I can't think of anybody that is more inspiring to my audience than somebody that can help us with all those things. I think that's the the work of life once you get past uh, adolescence is all of those things. So welcome to the podcast, Holly. It's so lovely to talk with you. Hello, and it's lovely to chat with you. Yeah, so we got the chance to meet at the 2023 Stevie Awards, where you were awarded the Nonprofit Leader of the Year Award, which is one of the biggest awards of the entire ceremony. And I just thought to myself, what amazing serendipity is it that I get seated at a table with a woman who inspires me on all fronts, from being an adventurer to advocating for wildlife to all the things you've done in summiting Everest, as well as I've seen even horse racing across the deserts and all these amazing opportunities that you've grasped and taken a hold of. So can you share a little bit with me about what's keeping you busy these days and how that aligns with your own passions? Yeah, absolutely. So what keeps me busy for the most part is my nonprofit work. So my UK registered charity, How Many Elephants, and my more recent platform, World Female Ranger Week, which is in June, June 23rd to the 30th. And that's a platform for uh, female wildlife rangers around the world to share their stories in the in the media. So that takes up probably 80% of my time at the minute. Uh, and then the rest of my time is uh, keynote speaking, where I always say it's uh, Everest and being the first woman to skydive Everest that gets me in the front door. And once I'm in there, I can chat. Uh, obviously about my adventures, but also about uh, female rangers and, and elephants and my conservation work. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, the, the stars aligned because uh, I get to speak about my adventures, my conservation work and my background as a uh, graphic designer. So it all, it all ties together pretty nicely these days, but it wasn't always uh, like that. Yeah, actually, I would love to drill into that to, at the next level. So can you share that moment when you felt like you started to really get things in alignment where you were living towards your life mission? And how did that how did that come about? And then how did that impact your energy and satisfaction in life? Yeah. So there's two moments actually that that have been really pivotal for me. So the first one was when I was 21. I threw myself out of a perfectly good aeroplane for the first time. And that 60 seconds of adrenaline completely changed the course of my life. Well, I wanted to go straight back up and do it again, but I was also blown away that people were getting paid to jump out of aeroplanes every day of the year as a job. And nobody had told me about this. My careers advisor at school hadn't mentioned this. Um, so that's when I decided I was going to move 
to New Zealand. So move halfway around the world and learn how to skydive and then figure out how to get employed as a skydiving camera woman. Very far-fetched goals. I knew nobody in New, Ze- in New Zealand. I knew no- nothing about filming and I uh, knew nothing about skydiving, but none of that mattered because I knew I could have a go at learning those skills. And that's what I did. Eventually, I landed my uh, dream job and was getting paid to jump out of planes up to 12 times a day every day. Um, but what that did, Lisa, was it, it gave me this massive confidence and this self-belief that I could do whatever I put my mind to, or I could at least have a go. So I now refer to that as hanging on to my 21-year-old mindset. I'm now 45, and uh, that sort of uh, really positive mindset. And I have to work at that, I I might add, but trying to really uh, hang on to that mindset where no challenge is too great kind of a thing has taken me on some pretty incredible adventures around the world. So that was a very pivotal moment. And another moment was uh, when I went, 10 years ago to do a master's in sustainable design. And that's when I was studying a material called vegetable ivory, which is a nut from a palm tree from South America. And it's an incredible material in its own right. It has a a fantastic story, but it was its material similarity to elephant ivory that got me researching the African elephant crisis. And I was so horrified by the, the data of 96 elephants being poached each day um, that I wanted to use my skills as a designer to come up with a really fresh, non-gruesome, non-gory, non-political awareness-raising campaign. And that's exactly what I did. And that, that I built this necklace, which is 96 elephants cut in vegetable ivory, which has won five design awards so far. It's, it's quite a piece to see. And that's showing the daily poaching rate in Africa. So just to finish on that point, I'm, I'm using design to bridge the gap between scientific data and human connection. And it's, uh, it's having a, a really, really big impact with the, uh, the audiences that I'm engaging with. So first and foremost, I think it's so interesting that your dream at 21 is my nightmare. So it does go to show that half the work in life is really getting clear on what motivates you very specifically. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in living out the dreams of maybe our parents or our grandparents and feeling the sense of obligation. But it sounds to me like you've really flipped that on its head and thought about how to be a great ancestor to the generations to follow by making sure that they can benefit from some of the amazing experiences you've had in the world. And as we all know, uh, we're living through this climate change and the green transformation. And I love how you used a skill that you cultivated in design to be able to tell a story that maybe sometimes is harsh enough that people want to turn away from. So can you share a pivotal moment in your journey that helped you spark those significant changes? I'm sure that when you were going to design school, you probably had kind of a path that you were planning to carry on. And then something came into your consciousness that you just couldn't shake. I I would love to hear a little bit more about what shifted you from being a footloose and fancy free uh, camera woman jumping out of planes to now being this role model and spokesperson for how can we have art and beauty 
and not lose any of the benefit of what people are doing with these poached materials whilst also being responsible and sustainable while doing it. Yeah, I think, um, as you said, it's, it's, it's a very contentious subject matter, um, anti-poaching, and it's very disturbing too, you know. And I'm one of those people, I don't want to see uh, pictures of, of elephants with, with half their head missing. You know, I, I personally think we've become desensitized to that shock approach. And there's lots of uh, non-profits out there that still very much go down that route. But one of the sort of my unique offerings of how many elephants is, you know, you will never see anything gruesome. So any newsletter you open, any film you watch, any talk that you hear of mine, you're not going to have that gruesome, gory element to it. And that's allowed me to connect with so many different types of audiences, including young people going into schools and also adults that just wouldn't connect with the subject matter on that level. So that that's was always tricky to find that balance because I know in my anti-human trafficking work, one of the biggest challenges that I find is how do I educate without spreading secondary trauma? How do I make it so that people feel like it's accessible and that once they are aware of something that bothers them, they have a way to actually do something to contribute to the solution they can activate. What is your hope when people get educated in this space about the steps that they can take? How do you see bringing in a broader group of people to align on your mission? Yeah, well, that's quite multifaceted. So from an awareness side of things, my my exhibition is very visual. So I have 35,000 elephants on a wall to show the annual poaching rate. And this exhibition travels around the world. And because it's just visual, it, it transcends language barriers. It transcends cultural barriers. And when you actually see and connect with this data in a purely visual way, you can't help but think, wow, that is a lot of elephants. How can I help? So that's, it's very emotive. Uh, lots of people come to me, some people crying their eyes out, having been to you know, one of my conservation talks or seeing the exhibition, just saying, you know, how is this happening? How can we help? Um, and then the other side of it is my adventures these days aren't focused on, I'm not interested in world records, world first. In my 20s, that was really important. But after getting a world record and a world first, I kind of realized you know, there, there's more to uh, there's more to adventure than that. And when I found myself out in Africa, uh, meeting female rangers, spending prolonged periods of time on the front line with mixed and all female anti poaching teams, you know that really reframed adventure for me. So it made Everest look like child's play. You know, being out patrolling with these teams for days at a time. Miles and miles and miles from anywhere. There's signs of uh, poachers. There's wild animals. You know, I'm more often than not the only white person out there. So I stand out like a, a beacon in the bush. And this is real world, real life adventure. And I, I, I use that term quite loosely. You know, it's pretty scary sometimes, especially when, you know, you're part of, say, an ambush team and you can hear poachers coming around the corner and you're lying flat on the ground. I'm with women that are fully armed with AK-47s. I'm unarmed. And you don't know what's walking around that corner. You don't know if they're in the, caught in the act, as it were, with the, the elephant tusks or the rhino horn. 
But what you do know is poachers don't want to be caught. They don't want to be seen. So if you do find them and or stumble across them even worse, you know, sometimes that is just indiscriminate shootout. So I have questioned what am I doing in, in at times of, you know, I'm putting myself in these positions. But just to finish on that point, I put myself in those positions because how can I advocate for the Rangers if I don't know, ex- you know, what they're doing on a, on a daily basis and being able to, um, you know, see that, see the challenges that they're facing and it's scary stuff. Yeah. As somebody who has found them say, themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time in a school, uh, when there was an active shooter, I still find myself flashing back to those moments. It's absolutely terrifying. How do you maintain your mental well-being while putting yourself in danger. I mean, let's be honest, do you seem to have a capacity for uh, risking your life that is probably not average? Yeah. And it's a question I ask a lot of the guys I work with who are on the front line, you know, that's their life. And for me, you know, I dip in and out of that world, even though I'm advocating for them most of the time, I'm one step removed from that. So, you know, I'm, I'm, sort of uh, not living that on a on a daily basis. So one of my questions to them is, you know, what coping mechanisms do you have in place for dealing with this? It's not only dealing with with a human interaction, it's also with the wildlife as well, you know. Snaring, great big problem. So finding animals, you know, caught in a, a metal wire trap, you know, this is it's deeply upsetting. Well I find it really hard. So I can only imagine what it's like if that's your your full time everyday work, um, so I guess for me, I uh, I do really odd things to step out of that world. I go and do things like uh, the Silk Road Mountain Race, which is um, nineteen hundred kilometers off road around Kyrgyzstan, solo and self supported, in fourteen days or less. <laughs> really huge challenge. But what I love about that is there's just no room for anything else than than dealing with that challenge. So it just blocks everything else out. And the other thing as well, Lisa, is uh, to get fit enough to train in my training for that. I ended up, and I'm doing it again this year because I got sick last year during the race, but I was training 24 hours a week on my, on my mountain bike. And people say, oh my God, how do you get any work done? But for me, that is, that is a massive win if I can get my work done in under 30 hours a week. And that's something I just strive for all the time. So when I'm out on my bike, that forces me. I can't be on my phone. I can't be on my laptop. I'm uh, carving out that time. And it's it, in my mind, it's, it's non-negotiable. And I have to have that outlook. Um, and the other thing that I found really helpful is a daily routine. So setting a habit, making just little things every day. So um, that might be something like uh, reading 10 pages of a book every single day. Um, I've really tried to limit my alcohol because I just love going out and having a beer at the end of the day. Um, so I've, I've tried to uh, cut that back so it's not good for my cycling training. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I really enjoyed sharing a, a pint with you last week, though, while we were both in London. That was pretty special yeah. for me. So Thank you for making an exception uh, to us. Right. I think I made a few exceptions on that. <laughs> like I had a few beers. Um, but, you know, it's, it's about finding outlets, isn't, you know, and, and stepping away from uh, what can become really intense. And that is, for me anyway, that's working in, in conservation. 
But on the play relatable to me, because what I think I'm hearing from you is you're using activity and exercise to get in that flow state where you're really present and mindful. And I really advocate for that in my 90 day reboot process for people looking to elevate their careers to having more mission. I actually think the time that people think you're using is downtime, that non-negotiable 24 hours is actually what fuels the productivity of those 30 hours. And it's so counterintuitive to most people that are maybe working for someone else and they measure their time by how many hours they put in. That's their contribution. But anything that's going to be impactful, legacy building, creative, unique, or innovative, those ideas gel in the times that you're not sitting down trying to be productive. So that by the time you get back to it, you, you're just it's almost like your fingers take over and your body knows what to do to get the, the goal done. Is that your experience of it as well? 100%. Yeah. I mean, I have to really set these these boundaries because for me, there is no work-life balance. It's my mind. Because it's a myth. Yeah. <laughs> my life is my work as many as it is for so many people. Yes. So I think you really do have to uh, figure out a way to, uh, to just switch off and, and take a break. And I'll make you laugh, actually, Lisa, because uh, when I was out in the middle of Kyrgyzstan on my own, very remote, you know, you have to find your own food, water, shelter. I was like, you know, I, I've, I don't think my bike mechanic skills are where they should be. You know, like ah, I had another like, extra spare chain links and I've got like an extra derailleur hanger and I'm like, I've got all the bits on me, but I'm not sure I'm that confident of how to fit them in the middle of nowhere on my own, da 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 so what I'm working on now is a uh, city and guilds. I don't know if you have that in the States, but it's a formal qualification for bike mechanics. And it's amazing. It's opened up this sort of whole new world for me. And again, there's no time to think of anything else. Like you have to be really present when you're uh, doing these courses and learning. And, you know, you get your hands dirty, covered in oil, grease, oily rags. Love it. So. um you're reminded my me and my days working in auto factories in Detroit. There is something really cool about the grittiness of getting something to work with your own bare hands, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like uh, solving puzzles. So, um, yeah, so that's really, like you're just a lifelong learner. You're yeah hungry for information. You're hungry for adventure, and you're still adventuring at forty five. This doesn't turn off for you because maybe your body's not where it used to be per se for the average the body hurt <laughs> yeah. yeah yoga is good yoga and stretching i'd highly recommend that things hurt that never used to hurt yep now for somebody that's feeling overwhelmed with their current life like i remember when i was working in corporate america i got to a point where i felt like from the moment my alarm went off in the morning to the time that my head hit the pillow at night i was obligated to be hustling full force and, you know, in that survival mode, sometimes it's really overwhelming to even think about making a change. So I would love to hear some practical tips from you that you can offer to initiate more positive change towards a fulfilling life. Because unfortunately, the one thing we can't invent is more time at this at this point. So you still have the same 24 hours. So I would love to hear some of your best thoughts on that. Yeah. And I actually, I, I just listened, uh, watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger series on Netflix and I just love his, his thinking around, you know, your 24 hours in a day, eight for working, eight for sleeping, eight for doing whatever you want to be doing. And of course, 
that for most of us, it sounds simple, but it just doesn't pan out quite as simply as that. But um, one of the most the, one of the most inspirational people I know and very successful, he works for three hours a day. Okay. You know, I just... It's possible. It is possible. It's, it's the quality. How are you using those hours? Switch your phone off. Do it. Bef- do your three hours before you look at your phone, I think, is a good one. That yeah. is a cool tip. Uh, flow before phone, I think, is what, how they refer to that one. For me, positivity, the power of a positive mindset. So really trying to surround yourself with positive uh, people and a supportive network. I'm really lucky in that I have a, an incredible uh, family um, what you were saying earlier about having the support of, of your family. When I went home at 21 and said, I'm moving to New Zealand to become a skydiver, they actually said, go for it. Brilliant. How many parents would say that? Not not that many. So I was, I was fortunate. So hanging out with the right people. And going back to my time of skydiving in, in New Zealand, it made me realize that the impossible or what I thought was the impossible became very possible when I was hanging out with uh, these very positive people. It really reframed what was possible. And for example, uh, jumping out of an aeroplane was really scary to begin with. Jumping out of an aeroplane after, uh, you know, 50, 60 jumps suddenly became as normal as getting up and cleaning my teeth. So reframing fear was, was a massive thing I learned. So just knowing that that is possible, what really scares you, I'd say a lot of the time you, you could work beyond that fear. Training and exposure makes things more accessible. It's kind of like what you hear in mili- like extreme military, right? They're, they're practicing for these events that most people would avoid like plague. <laughs> yeah, and I think it is reframing that, seeing some rather than seeing something as a threat, see it as a challenge. And I think there's... There's a lot written about that. I'm reading some fantastic books about that right now. And it's, it's so true. It's however we, we frame the situation. Any books so, you recommend for our audience? I'm reading at the minute. It's called Do Hard Things. And it's, it's brilliant. I would highly recommend that to uh, if you're interested in building mental toughness. It's, it's a really good book. Um, and then I'd say also, Lisa, is zoom out, you know. Like what was really important to me yesterday that might have been, you know, frustrating to me is is barely on my radar today. So having that ability to uh, to just zoom out and, and look at the bigger picture. And I'm lucky in that res- respect because I'm working with so many incredible uh, inspirational women with through World Female Ranger Week. I'm working with about five and a half thousand women now worldwide. And their, their stories just humble me every day. The adversities they've overcome and the challenges they've overcome, and that really helps me frame my own uh, challenges and adversities. So, sort of zooming out is a really good one. And then every night before I go to bed, I have to come up in my mind with three things that I'm really grateful for, and I've done that for about the last five years. Um, I was really grateful the other day for uh, catching up with you in London and, and having a beer. That was one of my things. And that's become a habit and it just makes you think, you know, there's some really, uh, there's some really, there's greatness in things that sometimes are quite small and, and you might think are quite insignificant. But when you actually lie in bed at night, just before you go to sleep, you're like, actually, I'm, I'm really glad that happened or I'm really glad I met that person. So again, a habit that's become I, a habit. 
I connect with that habit. I also do that. And I took an opportunity when I was writing to go back and reflect, which I had never done before, on years and years of years of these bullets. And what really stood out to me out of all of it was none of them were about my career. None of them were about accolades I got. I mean, they were just such pure moments, like taking my dog for a walk and, and feeling the sunshine or having a coffee with a friend or, you know, just spending real authentic time in a way that time ceases to exist because you're so present. And it really is helping me as I'm reframing my future as a keynote speaker and podcast host uh, and author to remember that my, my worth isn't on the line every day when I walk out the door. And I think sometimes when you're working uh, in other places for other people that have maybe expectations that are hard to live up to, it can feel like that sometimes. So I love those recommendations because I think when you can start to really collect data on yourself, you can realize that you don't need as much as you think you do. No. Joyful. 100%. I agree with that. We have all experienced unwanted change at some point in life. Can you please share a brief experience that you've had and how it impacted you as you navigated through it? Yeah, I think think uh, something that happened to me that that was really uh, really impacted me had a profound impact uh, on me was was when I was climbing Everest. I was uh, one of I was in a team of sixteen men. I was the only female. And I had to uh, separate myself from this team within the first two weeks. I was on the mountain. We were all on the mountain for about 47 days above 5,000 meters. And that was a, a, a massive lesson I learned because I got really sick. None of these guys came to see me, see if I was okay in base camp. And I, I sort of thought to myself, you know, if they don't have my back here at base camp, they most certainly will not have my back higher up on the mountain so I moved out of the camp moved in with the Sherpas who were my friends and I'd, I'd climbed and worked with them before and I felt really privileged actually that they uh they welcomed me into their camp because you know they, they didn't want westerners in there they wanted some time out you know that was uh that was their own space so long story short I summited I had a, an incredible summit I climbed as a two-person team and when I got down, I was the I was at the center of a really hideous, very ugly campaign on social media that was launched against me. And I've never been the center of or the victim of, of bullying. And uh, there was sexual harassment. There was discrimination. And it just felt so personal. And what made it worse is I was at base camp. I didn't have any um, Internet. I just had a satellite phone. So when I was ringing home or ringing friends, they were like, oh, this is, this is bad. People are saying really terrible things. And it, it just, it really shook me to the core. And I actually had to take legal, legal action when I got home, uh, cease and desist letters because they were naming and shaming. And, you know, it just, it was really awful experience. So that was set an opposite of setting this, this huge goal. I mean, you, you get faced with adversity physically. And then mental health-wise, upon return, realizing that there's been all this swirling around you while you're literally risking your life to achieve a dream. Yeah. Well, on earth, to yeah. turn that into something that you were that happened to you but didn't define you. 
So what I love about this story is, um, you know, I, I did manage to reframe this. Like it really took me down and I felt really quite scared to go to speaking events because these uh, detractors were ringing ahead of events that I was speaking at saying, you know, don't, don't have a speaking at your event. She's reckless. She's negligent. She's this, that and the other. But what I love is not one of those guys turned up at any of those events that that the organizers absolutely kept me on as a speaker. They were like, hell yeah, we're not taking you off the lineup. We're right behind you. But not one of those guys ever, ever came and said to my face, and they never came to my face and said anything. It was all done like uh, on, on through social media, hiding behind the, the keyboard. Very common story these days. So many um, people are trolled. My goodness. It's so, so no, awesome that you were able to explain that. I speak out about this. And now, seven years on, if those guys were in the audience, if they raised a question, I would be delighted to answer those questions. I'd probably even invite them up onto the stage, you know, to join me because I, I really uh, I feel that I've moved on in such a positive way from that happening. And I don't have that fear that I have to be worried that they're, they're going to be in the audience or they're going to say anything. And so many people supported me during that time. And again, zoom out. I went to a lawyer. He said, Holly, I've Googled this. I can't find anything on it. And I said, that's fine. But in my world, this is my world's crumbling around me. So I can only imagine what it feels like for people that it, you know, all over newspapers, all over the internet. It must just feel, you know, equally as horrendous, but but so public. So, um, you know, I guess that, my that- question to you is for people that maybe are experiencing being targeted online, because I think, unfortunately, when it happened to you, it might have been less common than it is today. And I think even more common going forward, especially with these trends of deep fakes and, you know, the ability to manipulate the truth. We used to have those theories like to see it is to believe it. I think that's going to be challenged quite a bit uh, in the, the next coming years, if not already. Do you have any tips for navigating it? How did you, when you were feeling so many feelings deep, navigate through that in the moment? Because I feel like so many times we talk about this happened, it was terrible, but then all these great things happened and don't worry about it. But for people that are really in it in the moment, do you have anything for them like that just got you through it? Yeah, very much so. And it was the lawyer that said to me, do not engage. However you're feeling, whatever you're reading, you know, and I was reading some pretty horrible stuff on social media, do not engage because, you know, it feels like, and it is the world at that time for you, it's your world, but, you know, come the following week, the following month, the following year, you know, these these people have disappeared. They're in the moment, these, these uh, horrible uh, keyboard warriors, these trolls. So first, biggest bit of advice was absolutely do not engage. I mean, even great. now... I'm I'm really lucky. I feel fortunate that I have a really supportive following of of what I do, my conservation work and my speaking work. And very rarely do I get any negative comments on social media, but the ones that I do get now, especially with the conservation where lots of people out there have have pretty big opinions, you know, I just don't engage with them. And if they if I feel they're a nuisance, I just block them and I move on. I think the minute you start engaging, you're just opening yourself up to uh, to be, and they want you to engage, you know, all day long. So 
but yeah, they're probably poking about 10 different people and seeing who they can get to act. Yeah. So it what feels very personal for somebody that would be yeah. willing to behave that way usually isn't all that personal at all. They're predators and they're going to see who they can who they can get. Yeah. And I think it's about framing it as well that, you know, it will pass. It will get better. Like these these hideous people, they get bored, they move on. Yeah, but also for you, it's it's about figuring out who who is that network around you. Who are those people that you can trust? You know, and and hang out with those people. Be within within that the the surrounds of of uh, positive people, and that helped me through massively. And not giving in, I could have not got up on those stages. I could have decided actually, I'm not going to put myself in this position. But carrying on, be you know, keeping your uh, focus on. You know, for me, that's my bread and butter. That's what I. That's how I make my money. I make no money from my uh, charity, from my conservation work, even though it takes most of my time. So I thought I'm not going to let these people take away that. That you know, that's my income stream. So, like I said, even now, seven years on, I'll welcome any of those guys to uh, to come forward and and uh, say it to my face. But I know they never will. Yep, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And in the wise words of Maya Angelou, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. So you yeah. saw some behavior that was indicative that this might be an outcome. And uh, you made the right choices then and you made the right choices afterwards. And you're here to tell the tale. So thank you for sharing that vulnerable story with us. I had no idea that you had to endure that. To me, you just look like this shiny person that is infinitely capable. And and that's also true, but you also are a human. So I'd like to wrap with a final question for you. I feel like success means different things to different people. How have you redefined success for yourself over time based on your core values? For me, success these days, it's definitely changed. As I said earlier, my 20s was chasing world records, world firsts you know, becoming the first woman to skydive Everest and then racing a thousand kilometers across Mongolia on semi-wild horses. But, you know, in my 30s and 40s, I was definitely looking for something more meaningful. And for me, that's my my charity, How Many Elephants, and my World Female Ranger Week. And also a point I'd like to make here, Lisa, is uh, when I became the first woman to skydive Everest, the media picked that story up. And I was put in a hotel room, uh, courtesy of the BBC. I uh, did six live interviews um, to CNN, CBS. They said, don't worry, you're just going out live to America. (laughs) And it it made me think, you know, how can I harness the power of the global media for a greater good than me jumping out of an aeroplane? So fast forward uh, 15 years and for World Female Ranger Week last year, we got 500 million views around that week. Wow. Global media picked these stories up and they ran with it. We were on lots of uh, really big platforms. And for me, that that's success. That's way more interesting than me skydiving out of a plane. That's getting the stories of women's, uh, you know, their stories aren't told as, as much as they should be or some of them not at all. Um, and really getting them out to a, to a global audience. And in turn, that brought lots of uh, donors in, lots of funding for them. Because conservation without funding is just conversation. That's one of my favorite lines. So we, we like chatting, but definitely need, uh, need funding as well. So for me, that was a huge success, launching a, a, a platform that allowed these women to, to amplify and share their, their stories and their voices. And I'm just going to quickly tell you another success story 
which I love. These these female rangers in Nigeria. There's seven national parks in Nigeria, and two two female rangers were allowed to take part in in World Female Ranger Week in 2022. And they they were amazing. They just organised events every single day of the week. They organised like football matches. They did parades through their their towns and their communities. They were on TV in uh, in Nigeria, um, and they they really went to town and they they got all these banners printed out. And last year, I uh, said to them in the lead up World Female Ranger Week, you know, what are you guys planning? And they said, look. Can you do us a favor? They said, because I didn't realize they were the only two that were allowed to take part. They said, look, can you uh, get in touch with the Conservator General of National Park Service Nigeria and ask that all the women, all the female rangers take part? And I thought, yeah, no, no worries. That's easy, right? I'll send an email today. And then a month later, two days before World Female Ranger Week, I get an email very, you know, all sort of like a, a letter scanned in, signed with a stamp. And he's, this guy said, you know, I'm giving permission to these women that they can all take part. And maybe to you and me, that doesn't sound like, you know, why wouldn't they? Why couldn't they take part kind of thing? But for these women, oh my God, they, they came forward and they said, Holly, you know, they just thought I was some sort of divine intervention that they had been given permission to share their voice, share their story. And they said, for us, this is huge. This is monumental. So for me, that's real world impact. And that's, for me, success. And one of my core values is real world, making change, making impact, measurable impact. Thank you so much for sharing those stories. I I think they really resonate with a, a shared vision of success that we both have, which is there's no point in being a powerful woman in the world if you're not creating space for the other women around us to have a voice. And you are definitely a lived example of that. So Holly, for people that are inspired by the conversation that we have today, perhaps they're looking for keynote speakers to help break up all the monotony of these doomsday talks about what AI is going to do, or perhaps they are uh, passionate about uh, wildlife conservation. Where are the best ways to connect with you and stay on on the journey with you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'd just like to say with, with my charity, we're very small. Every penny is accounted for and every email is answered. You know, there's that sign that says when someone makes a donation, a, a real person does a little dance. That That's me and that's us. You know, there's definite real people behind this, this non-profit. So you can get in touch uh, via the website, howmanyelephants.org, worldfemalerangerweek.org. I'm mainly on LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, and then for me personally, it's hollybudge.com. And again, on LinkedIn and uh, Instagram. And yeah, I I love chatting to people. I love connecting with people. And um, yeah, absolutely get in touch with me. Well, I can I can speak with personal experience. I've never left a conversation with you not more highly energized than when I started. And I think you really accomplish your goal of sharing your positive mindset, really actionable steps for building mental toughness and helping people set ambitious goals, but maintaining well-being. And so it's been such an honor to share your story with us. Thank you so much for joining us today, Holly. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Go Reboot Your Life podcast. For more information and important links from today's show, or if you have ideas or great suggestions, contact information and links are in the show notes.